0: I had a wonderful guest that I interviewed and this is what this episode's about. It's a gentleman by the name of Christopher Pellegrini and uh, he is based in Tokyo and Japan. Went from the United States to Japan many years ago and he's known as a show Chu and a Mori expert, author, podcast host and he's a diehard Tokyo Swallows fan. What he's done is he's actually taken his enthusiasm and knowledge of Japanese spirits uh, and gone and applied it in all of his pro- professional endeavors. And what he did in March 2020, as the world went into lockdown, he launched a spirits business called Ponkaku. And um, it's really interesting to hear how he talks about the different types of kind of spirits that he's actually gone and um, actually launched Sochu, Awamori and Koji uh, Whiskey so a uh, really interesting guy to to have actually interviewed and he comes from um, of course Bristol Vermont and so what I'd like you to do is that you know just sort of pick out different things for you as well as you listen to the episode I mean things that he covered off as well first of all the title of the actual episode is the commitment leap the commitment to leap really quite cool title put your hand up when the opportunity appears and for a lot of us when those opportunities appear Some people self-doubt themselves. They question whether they're going to be any good. Imposter syndrome comes in place. So we talk about putting your hand up. And you also talked about never giving up. Uh, Never give up is what he said. And then the other one is they will vote with their feet. And he talks about two sides of a coin. Anyhow, a wonderful interview. had a lot of great fun with him. So listeners, let's have a listen to the interview. Hey, listeners, welcome to another wonderful episode here with the Leadership is Changing podcast, and I have a wonderful guest with me today. His name is Christopher Pellegrini. Christopher, massive welcome to you. Thank you very much, Dennis. It's a great pleasure to be here. Excellent. So I've already given the listeners a little bit of a introduction to you, but I'd love to know a little bit more about you. But before we go there, whereabouts in the world are you today?
1: I am at home in Tokyo, Japan. I've lived in Tokyo for the last 20 years, actually just hit my 20, 20th anniversary last month and wow. it's uh, home now. I've lived here longer than I ever lived in the town where I grew up, Bristol, Vermont. So yeah. yeah, I think I'm turning Japanese. So you went from the US to, to Japan direct and then? It's a, it's a bit of a story, but I went to Spain first, Oh, then uh, later I ended up in South Korea and boy meets girl, girl wanted to live in Japan, so I followed her here. It was her idea to come to Japan, and we haven't left, we're, and we're still together. 20 years, Well wow, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, konnichiwa. Yeah, <laughs> very good. Konnichiwa.
0: Okay, so that's good, and I understand that you are a diehard Tokyo Swallows fan, is that right?
1: That's right, and they won the pennant again this year. The Swallows are a Japanese baseball team in the Central League. We won the Central last year, and we won the Japan Series, which was the first time I ever witnessed that in my tenure, during my tenure in Japan. We just won the league again. We are the first night, uh, the first game of the playoffs that decides who goes to, it's basically the championship series for the Central League, who goes to the Japan Series. That game is tonight against Hanshin. And I'm a little nervous right now. So if I'm if I stutter or I I miss on my words, it's not because I'm actually nervous to be in front of a mic. It's because I'm thinking (laughs) I'm a little nervous about the series that starts tonight. Oh, that's awesome!
0: Yeah, cool. Now, tell us a little bit more about your background. You're an expert around something that's very special that you're going to share with us in a minute. Author, podcast host, as well. Tell us a little bit more about your background.
1: I kind of cut my chops at least in the beverage alcohol world in. Brewing beer back when I was a teenager. Actually, I was a home brewer. Parents found out about it; they got angry. I parlayed that couple years of quiet experience in my bedroom closet into a an apprenticeship at the local microbrewery, and that one thing led to another. I ended up becoming the youngest commercial brewer in the United States. I was too young to drink what I was making, actually, and I then fast forward many, many years. I end up in Japan. And I ran face first into Japan's indigenous spirits, which does not include Japanese whiskey. Japanese whiskey is a relatively recent iteration. It's about a century old, I guess. But Japanese shochu, S-H-O-C-H-U, and Japanese awamori, A-W-A-M-O-R-I. Those are centuries old, 500, 600 years old. And they together outsell sake here in Japan. And I was fascinated by them. And nobody outside of Japan seems to know about them. And that led to a very, very deep rabbit hole that I am still tumbling down. And I don't think I'll ever find the bottom because there's about 5,000 brands of these spirits produced every year. Wow. And there's immense diversity in the category and the world has no idea what's coming. It's, I'm very excited to help bring these to a wider market. And that's basically what my businesses do today. That's awesome. That's really, really cool. And it's great to hear that, you know,
0: that you've sort of going down that rabbit hole, but it's still going down that hole. I mean, that's really good. Anything else around your feet, you know, your background, you like to share anything else?
1: Um, I am also an educator. I, before I got into business, I was an academic, essentially. Mm. I, education is very near and dear to my heart. And both on the teaching side and on the receiving side, the, the studying side, I am a, I'm a lifelong student of all sorts of things. I'm a very curious, curious in many senses of that word. I'm kind of a character, but I'm also the type of person who, when they find out about something new, something that they don't necessarily have all the answers to, that just gets me going and I will not be stopped. Um, That's how I approached learning about These drinks, these spirits from Japan, it's how I've approached many things in my life. And I think education, and probably you'll hear me reference that many times today. Education is so central to every, the way that I approach everything, that it really can't be stripped from who I am as a person, really. And and the business that you launched, what's the name of the business? The business is called Honkaku Spirits. Honkaku is a Japanese word meaning authentic or genuine. Yeah, very cool.
0: And I also see from your bio that you are very passionate, or you're passionate about giving back. And there's a couple of
1: foundations that you're
0: supporting. Is that
1: is that correct? Yeah, we, I mean, we we really the the organization in general, and then me in particular, I suppose, or specifically, I do have a a couple of foundations that are very near and dear to my heart. One, of course, is is one that's dedicated to my father, who passed away suddenly back in 2006. And that's a, it's kind of cliched, but it's a Reach for, Ray Pellegrini Reach for the Stars scholarship where we raise money to help Vermont kids, usually the first in their family to ever go to university, to help fund their university life. And with the, there's a little bit of a like, you know, we would appreciate it if you could keep your talents in Vermont to a certain extent. And that's, it's not a requirement, but it is just to give opportunities to young young people from Vermont who may be doing something that's completely new for their family structure. So that's one. Another group is Minga, the Minga Foundation, which really works on improving women's lives and in various parts of the world. And I've been a big fan of that organization for a long time. And, you know, and then I, there's so much, there's so much more that I would love to be able to do. I just have to become a little bit more successful so, so that I can uh, devote more time and resources to doing things like, ed- you know, education, protecting the planet, giving people more opportunities all around the world, that sort of thing. But yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of that sort of activity. And, and good on you for doing that. I think it's great. I think your dad's name was
0: Ray, is that right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. And so kids in Vermont, they, they get that kind of uh, help, but you really want them to stay in Vermont too, to keep that kind of talent. Not follow what you did and go into other countries, but um, <laughs> exactly. yeah. a
1: little ironic. Yeah, that's exactly right. I don't know if I really stole any talent from Vermont per se. I think I think that's absolutely true. I took a lot of passion with me and a lot yeah. of curiosity, but and and no, I'm very grateful to Vermont. I learned how to brew beer in Vermont, so and that led me. That started me on this path to where I am today. How did your parents find it in the wardrobe, or how did they know that you were doing? <laughs> Turn that in the water
0: to to blow up or something. Or
1: (laughs) so, my very close friend Jesse Brisson lives in Florida now, and I work. We had a a little brand uh, for a couple of years. We were making brew almost every week, and we would do it on Sunday because my my mother was a is a deacon in the church, and my parents would dutifully leave the house on Sunday, and we would have the kitchen to ourselves. And one day, my my Father had a bit of a funny tummy and he came home early, right while we were in the middle of boiling the wort. And he was like, What is that smell? (laughs) And, and, uh, you know, that was then the, you know, all bets are off. And he, at first he was intrigued and then he was like, Wait a second, I am the principal of the local high school. That's not true. At that time, he was the, he was the principal of a neighboring town's junior high school. So, I don't think that this is okay. I think this is illegal, isn't it? I was like, yeah, it's pretty highly... Well, it's not illegal, but it's definitely not something that you want to find in the newspaper in our small town. So he's like, this has to end. So that was the end of that. It was done like that. But I was able to then go and get an apprenticeship. I went to Otter Creek Brewing, which still exists to this day. I did not burn that place down, although I, I came close a couple of times. And I went to the CEO, Lawrence Miller, and I said, I want to do this. And he's like you're not really the type that I expect to see in here wanting to learn how to make beer. And I was like, well, I do. And I've already made it. So he's like, I don't want to hear about it. Okay. You're hired. Let's, uh, let's get you. And I learned every aspect of that business. And then one fateful week, we lost both of our head brewers. Number one, he wrecked his back was in traction basically for a couple of months. So he couldn't lift bags of grain. And our number two brewer, same week left the state to join the circus I am not kidding that is not a joke he wanted to be a clown so he was gone and then all of a sudden Lawrence Miller the CEO had to call an all hands meetings like does anybody in this place know how to make beer and little 17 year old me was like and that was the start of my brewing career right there and I became the night brewer and I was the most insufferable underage beer snob you've ever met in your life I, you could not talk to 17 year old me about beer because I was making stuff that people would line up to fill their growlers with. And I was so proud of my job. And I was so fascinated by making small batch, whether it's food or whether it's drink, making small batch items with your hand, with your hands. I thought it's such a backbreaking experience. It takes so much concentration and so much precision. And I just loved it. And I've brought that with me. To this day. There you go, listeners. When
0: the opportunity is there in front of you, put your hand up and go for it. That's yeah, that's awesome. Really, really good. Cool. I love that story. I think it's really, really cool. Now, how did you get into leadership?
1: So for a long time, I as I as I said, I I found these spirits in Japan. And I wanted to spread the word. I'm an educator. I wanted to tell the world about these hidden spirits, these forgotten, unknown secrets from Japan. And so I did everything that I could to to get the word out. I started having tasting sessions and seminars. I scheduled them all over Tokyo. What I found out was most of the people coming to these things weren't other international folks like myself living in Tokyo. It was mostly Japanese folks who were coming just to hear a different perspective on their national spirit. So I was like, "Well, this isn't really how to get the word out, is it?" I'm mostly talking internally still. And so then I started working on a book. And after several transcripts and a bunch of years lost off the end of my life. I'm sure uh, that got published in 2014. That led to opportunities where I became a government designated ambassador for these categories and was sent all over the world to do what I thought was necessary. But it really, the, the pace of uptake was incredibly slow. People would hear me talk about shochu, they would have some, they would enjoy it. And then they would just go back to their normal burgundy, or they would go back to drinking, you know, vodka tonics or whatever they normally drank. And and I realized there's not enough shochu out there in the world for anything that I'm talking about to be replicable in someone's home. They just can't go out and buy shochu, bring it home, and play with it. You know, make a, make a cocktail with it, pour it over ice, and drink it after dinner. So I said, and I was with my business partner. We just decided, you know got to go for it. So I quit my, my full-time professorship at Waseda university here in downtown Tokyo in, in March of 2020 and started a, a import business in New York that I managed from here. And I, my specialist knowledge of the, of the category of these products of the culture was all of a sudden, I was all of a sudden just shunted into this generalist approach to developing products, logistically getting them to the port, getting them overseas, setting up with distributors, and like having to do all of this stuff and manage two teams in different time zones in different countries using different languages. And so it was a crash course in leadership, I think is what I should say. It was a character-building experience, kind of like getting dragged behind a truck is a character-building experience. And it was an education every single day of the week. And so, yes, now i'm I'm definitely in leadership. And I am learning every experience in informs the next project that we work on. And it's a really, really amazing process whereby I'm learning to go hyper focused on details and then immediately zoom back out and see the big picture. Mm. there's a There's a frenetics shift from left brain to right brain that's happening, like, constantly and and it's it's about for me i mean i know you didn't ask this question but i think i can kind of start down that path for me leadership has really been about about setting examples being a role model and and attempting to lead through example especially in such a global organization like we have where so much is lost in communication in interpretation in assumptions and it's just, it's, it's a fascinating process every day of the week, Dennis. Amazing. That is cool. Oh,
0: I could just hear it from your voice about the way it is and what it's been for you as well. So, March
1: 2020 is when you launched. Isn't that when the <laughs> world went into lockdown? <laughs> Amazing time to give up healthcare, to give up a really, really good professorship at, at a very well respected university. And, but it was just one of those things where there were the ducks aligned. And there was an opportunity to do something really big. And I just looked at myself in the mirror and said, I don't think I will be able to look at myself in the mirror again if I don't jump. Hmm. Hmm. And I just had to, I just had to take the leap. And fortunately, my better half also knew. She, she told me, she's like, if you don't do this and I don't, I don't necessarily think it's a wonderful idea, but if you don't do this, I don't think you'll ever forgive yourself. And I was like, I think you're at, you know me better than I know myself, so I got to jump. That's 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 awesome. Glad you did jump,
0: and um, it sounds like it's going very well. Cool, very good. Now here's a, a question for you. Now this person could be alive or from history. Who's mm-hmm. your favorite leader and why?
1: I'm gonna say uh, there are lots, I mean, a lot of leaders. I mean, my father was an amazing educational leader, but I I want to say today I want to say. Carles Puyol, who was the longtime captain, uh, center, center back defender for Barcelona. I think he retired. He hung up his boots in 2014, I believe. And he happens to, he's the same age as me. I think he's like two weeks older than me. We were both born in 78, April 78. And he is, he was always a very no nonsense, hard charging, never give up type of leader who in I see a lot of myself in him. I I'm from a theater background. I'm from a you know an arts background, and and I remember rehearsals where I would be the I would be the ballbuster, where I'd be giving people a hard time for not focusing enough and for not practicing enough and not taking it seriously enough. And I know that I'll, I'm sure behind my back people are saying, "Oh man, Pellegrini, is a pain in the ass." But you know we performed well, so, and I think the same in in some senses. He does the same thing. You can see him, or you could, when he played, see him on the field, like, you know, snapping his teammates back. Come on, guys, focus, focus. They they might be up by six six goals. They might be down by by four. And there's only 15 seconds left. And he still believes that something major can happen. And that I have always really respected. And his teammates, you can see, respect him. And he just organized things so well during the, the flow of play. And I... While I don't think I am I will ever or could ever be as tough as he is, I don't think I could ever, I think he's, his focus is far superior to mine just in general and his his ability to put in the work I, I will always aspire to. But I, I have a lot of respect for him. I, I think in some ways my demeanor is a little similar to his. I think I'm a little goofier than him though. So in other words, the work ethic is going to be very important, but also the focus and actually having that sense of urgency and keep pushing through. Yep. 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 He never, never say die attitude, which I really respect.
0: Yeah, yeah, cool. All righty. Now, I'm not sure if whether you have met him in person, but if you did have a chance to sit with him on a park bench somewhere, having a cup of coffee, what would be a question you might
1: want to ask him? I would love to know how he kept overcoming all those surgeries, honestly. He put himself through so much pain and so much punishment he had like eight knee surgeries or something. I mean, if you ever watch highlight reels of him making tackles, he did not hold back and he was going to get the ball. Um, somebody's going to lose something in the process, but he was a remarkable defender, great anticipation, great vision. And he hurt himself a lot. And I just wonder how You know, after a while, is it a sign? Is it not a sign? I I'm not the type of person who really necessarily thinks puts too much stock in fate. But was it a sign that maybe you need to you need to take better care of yourself? How do you? I would love to ask him. How did you find the motivation every time to keep going back to get yourself back to that amazing level of fitness, of ability to compete against all these players who are half your age? That 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 just always boggled my mind. He sounds like a guy who is fully
0: committed, um, whether it was the tackles or whatever he was doing, he's fully committed. And I think, Without a doubt. Yeah. And I think a lot of leaders today, they need to be more fully committed,
1: if you know what I mean. They need to be doing that more. Mm. I think that's absolutely right. I think today, and maybe maybe it's a function of the the pandemic, maybe it's a function of being so online these days. It's so easy now to... Well, it's good in many ways to be able to take a break, to be able to walk away from a problem, go do something else for a second, come back to it with fresh eyes and a refreshed mind. But at the same time, it also gives us the ability to hide a little bit more. It gives us the ability to, it gives us that an extra level of control over our time, which we might not have had before that you have to be a little bit careful with. I think it's, it's easy for that one. It's a, it may be a slippery slope for some people. And I think that it's easy to lose your commitment because you can so easily be distracted. So there's a lot of extra fog, a lot of extra noise that you have to be able to also manage. And that's a new challenge of not only, of course, not just being a leader today, just just doing anything today is cutting through all the noise and finding the true signal.
0: Yep, absolutely. Now, that's probably a good segue into the next question, which is, the the show's called Leadership is Changing, and when I mentioned that title or that statement, what does that mean to Christopher?
1: To me, that means that communication has changed in a in a way that I don't think can ever be. It'll never go back to the way it was before. We're going from a, a much more hierarchical, top down type of communication structure, a much more you know much more classically business style of communication to where it's a lot of communication is coming from bottom up and the, and the organization itself is much flatter. And there's a necessity for the leader to be comfortable with that and to excel at promoting that and to be able to do all of the things that they were, all of the things they were supposed to be thinking about need to be done, not just with project managers and with you know chief of staff or whoever you have that you can lean on for those things, but also the people on the front lines, the people who are if you do your job well, they're your brand ambassadors if you if you do your job well, they trust you to make mis- to be able to make mistakes and to lay down their ideas and to to really also commit to what you're trying to do as an organization as a group as a team and the commitment obviously from leadership is is absolutely important really good leaders in my experience get massive commitment from the people who report to them and that's really really hard to do you have to do so many things well simultaneously in order to achieve that um it's something that i i'm working towards every single hour of the day yep very very strong that and i like what you say about
0: the hierarchical side of things and the comms and the way things have been worked, now it's going to bottom up and also flatter. I think it's becoming a lot more collaborative as well, rather than you having to wait for your leader's leader to say something, you know, people are able to go into those different levels and, and talk about things. And I think it's important that it does happen. You, you and I have been talking about things and, and what I'm finding is, and I'm not sure about your industry as well, whether this is happening. But we seem to be seeing things in life get faster, whether it be business, technology, data, social, whatever, it's getting faster and faster. So what makes a leader successful in this fast-paced, ever-changing world, And your thoughts or your ideas?
1: That's that's such a good question. Uh, My immediate knee-jerk reaction to that is you have to be really good at, a, a, a leader needs to be comfortable with interpreting data in a way that they might not have when they were either leading a function, leading a smaller team. They also need to be much more comfortable with challenging assumptions, I believe, asking those questions, asking the why questions to find the information that's missing, find the information that nobody's paying attention to. Um, They have to be engaging a variety of stakeholders, I believe, in order to get a better sense of of what the lay of the land is so that they can make the best decision possible when it comes to that so yeah the speed uh and the change the way the directions from which information comes anticipating what's what your competitors are going to do figuring out how they will react to things that you're trying to do all of these things it's just there's so many different ways that information comes at you and there's so many other ways to go and find information too it's it's kind of chaotic but I see this as just incredibly, op- there's so many opportunities now because so everything's so uncertain. It just makes me drool a little. It makes my mouth water because yeah, nobody knows which way is up at the moment, yeah. but you know, you just have to, everybody's dealing with the same set of parameters. You just have to deal with them better. Yep. While at the same time, going back to what you said earlier on, there is a lot of noise too.
0: So. Yeah. Focus on what you're needing to do and being really committed to doing it. But I think what I'm hearing you say too, though, Christopher, is be aware of the other opportunities around you because it's changing so quickly. There's so much on. Um, So we need to be aware of what's going on. Mm. Now, you and I have been talking about leadership and we're talking about from a leader's perspective and leadership overall. If we change gears now and talk about the employees themselves... What do you think is employees' expectations of leaders changing? Has it changed, and what are they looking for?
1: I think it has changed, and I think employees' expectation of what a meaningful full job is has changed, or at least it's, been, it's solidified in people's minds that they want the job to challenge them, to give them opportunity, to also align with their own personal values in, a, in, in many ways. And there's only so much that a lot of employees can Can tolerate when those things don't really line up for them, and they'll. I've heard you say a few times on this podcast they'll vote with their feet, and that is something that I'm constantly thinking about. And the way that I feel like I've really come around in terms of my leadership, um, not only in terms of of shifting from a specialist to a generalist, but is also in terms of treating my employees like they're my boss, and and really doing whatever i can to make sure that they feel like they're being heard to make sure that they feel like they are a part of this decision making process or maybe even if they're not at least they're a part of the of the uh the conversation so that they can feel some ownership of it and and then just generally making sure that they feel comfortable enough to screw up and to not constantly and this is something that i'm very in tune with because Half of the team is in Japan. Half of the team is in America. The, the business culture is so wickedly different Mm. and risk taking is so, is such there. It's a very, it's two sides of, it's, it's not even the same coin. It's two sides of two separate coins. And so just managing people's approach to the same issue, the same topic, the same challenge is something that I think is a much more common a uh, function, it's not, well, it's not a function, a much more common task for leaders today as as uh, so many businesses are more global than, than they used to be. Yeah, yeah. And you're right. I mean, different cultures, I could just imagine
0: the risk being done in Japan. No. I think it would be, it's just a little bit different, right? And so understanding those cultures, working with them, getting the best out of those people, really important indeed. Yeah. Now, if I was to get you to get your crystal ball out now and talk of a thing about the future here, where would you see leadership being in five years?
1: I think this communication thing that we've been talking about is something that's going to continue to be integral to to everyone's thought process as we move forward, how you how you manage a team, how you manage um, an entire organization at the enterprise level, figuring out the right ways to communicate with thousands of people people who who work with you and i think that there's going to be a lot more reliance on video communication there's going to be a lot more reliance on bringing bringing you know people within the organization who have content knowledge who are who are potentially thought leaders promoting them as such both internally and externally and and bringing them into the process of crafting corporate messages in some cases helping you with speeches i think there's there's going to be a, a, a very big rethinking of how we communicate with the people to the left and right of us, above us, and the people who are our direct reports, and I just don't see, see that stopping. And, and it's it's going to be frightening for most people involved, but it's also there's so many opportunities, you know, to really get it right. Yeah, and I and think do something really powerful.
0: Yeah, too right. And I think well that 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 last piece you just said powerful, yeah, because I think those who embrace it are going to just really, really see a big difference in them and their own leadership, but also their whole organisation in the way that they're brand out in the market, but also attracting talent, but also retaining the talent they've got. And oh, that is very, very powerful, as you're saying as well. Well, Christopher, it's been a real pleasure working with you and talking to you today on today's podcast or today's episode. Well, I wish the Tokyo Swallows uh, all the best for today. And hopefully you. that you'll keep breathing throughout the day as you get to that game and so forth. But hey, if our listeners are wanting to get a hold of you, where should they go?
1: I'm very active on Twitter and Instagram. Chris Pellegrini on Twitter, Christopher Pellegrini on Instagram. And um, if you want to learn more about spirits from Japan, then I'm the co-host of a podcast called Japan Distilled, which we talk about everything from shochu and awamori to Japanese whiskey, rum, gin, odovi, and everything in between. So. If you're that type of nerd like we are, then please join us.
0: Awesome. Once again, Christopher, thank you so much for joining
1: me on today's episode. It's been great.
0: Thank you, Dennis. All right, listeners. Well, thanks for joining us. Until next time, bye for now.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world.